Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. In Jeremiah chapter 38, they both were uh, servants, officials, under King Zedekiah, along with their colleagues, and they were part of the um, the uh, uh, government of uh, Judah in the days of Jeremiah, who actually uh, were staunch opponents of the prophet Jeremiah. They lobbied to have him killed. Now, you can read all about that in Jeremiah 38, and if you read through the book of Jeremiah, you would have uh, read that part. According to Dr. Mazur of the Hebrew University, who is leading the dig, I'm quoting here, this is the first time in the annals of Israeli archaeology that two clay boule uh, with two biblical names that appear in the same verse in the Bible have been unearthed in the same location. So this is, is a significant uh, thing. And I bring it up uh, this morning to just, as a kind of a reminder, I guess, to us that what we're talking about here is actual history, actual events in actual world history with real people who actually live. The Bible is a book of, uh, uh, inspired by God, but written in human history as God revealed himself in, in history. And uh, now, the other reason I bring it up is because I, I have a question for you. Why do you think these two officials, uh, Gedaliah and Yukal, I'm probably not pronouncing those names quite right, but that's okay. Uh, why would they, along with their colleagues, lobby for Jeremiah to be put to death? And the answer could be because they didn't like him. But then I would ask, why didn't they like him? If you were to read the book of Jeremiah, and I trust that you have or and that you will, you will find that Jeremiah was not a very happy guy. In fact, if you were to travel back in time and take in the chatter on the streets of Jerusalem around 590 B.C. or so, um, you would quite quickly find out that Jeremiah was known as Mr. Negativity. Uh, it seems that every time anyone with any political power or clout tried to spread a little optimism amongst the people in Jerusalem about things, uh, Jeremiah was the guy who was always playing the part of the wet blanket. Uh, they would go about, men like Gedaliah, of course, and Yukal, they would go around saying to the people, you know, like, hey, you guys, you know, we, cheer up, you know, we can do this. It's not that bad, you know, it's going to be all right. And Jeremiah, of course, he <laughs> kind of got in the way, you know. Ever feel like you're in the way? Truth is that things weren't very good in uh, Jerusalem. 
Let's see here. Where are we? Uh, Don, if you would bring up the, uh, the map, the chart there, the first chart, uh, just put things a little bit of perspective. I've showed this uh, back a, a while ago, probably back when we were in this uh, talking about Elijah and Elisha here. Uh, in 722-721, the, the northern kingdom fell. Josh spoke to us about that uh, last Sunday, the fall of the northern kingdom. And uh, the Assyrians um, captured Samaria and carted off the inhabitants, brought in a bunch of people from other lands and uh, planted them in the, the area of Palestine where the northern kingdom was and then moved on the southern kingdom. And if it wasn't for God's uh, relationship with uh, Hezekiah, remember, they would have taken the north, they would have taken the south then too. But uh, Hezekiah interceded, uh, went to the temple, recruited Isaiah the prophet, and they prayed, and God sent an angel and decimated the armies of the Assyrians, and basically they just went home. Uh, the history continues on with a, a number of uh, kings leading up to, um, well, let's bring up that other chart if you would, Don. Here's a little bit more complicated version of what we're talking about. You don't have to memorize this. You don't even have to be able to see it all. If you would like a copy, ask me, not today, not here, email me something and I will send it to you. But here we are, uh, there's Elisha, Elijah there, okay. Um, where's uh, Isaiah? Do you see Isaiah? I know he's here. There's Jeremiah, where's Isaiah? He should be right here, there he is, right there. Yeah, see, Hezekiah, Isaiah, other prophets of his time, Micah, Nahum. Uh, we looked at Jonah, Hosea, they're prophets to the northern kingdom. Isaiah, prophet to the southern kingdom, although they also talked about the north. And here we are today, Jeremiah. You see, you see when Jeremiah lived? Right here. Okay? Jeremiah lived through the last three kings of the south. And let's just say this. Jeremiah had a lot to cry about. Okay? When you read through the book of Jeremiah, much of the content of Jeremiah was written after Nebuchadnezzar had already come into the land and basically uh, conquered the land and put them under tribute. So the last, uh, I think it was King Jehoiakim gets killed and his son Jehoiachin is put in as a puppet king to pay tribute to the Babylonians, and uh, and then of course Joy Chin decides he doesn't want to pay tribute, and and there's like these waves of captivity that happen, and Jeremiah lives through all of that, every bit of it, until the day that they picked him up and physically carried him to Egypt against his will, and he wrote from Egypt as well. So those are the days of Jeremiah that we're talking about. And uh, as I say, if, you, if you're interested in you want me to send you that, it's, uh, there's probably 5% of you who would love to have it, and the rest of you are saying, please don't send it to me. <laughs> All right, I understand. I really do. So Jeremiah had a lot, a lot to cry about. And the king's men, they would go around and say, come on, you guys, we can do this. We can do this. And Jeremiah would say, it ain't going to work. 
It just ain't going to work. They say, it's not that bad. It's not really that bad. And Jeremiah would go, it's really bad. And I tell you, it didn't make him popular. And Jeremiah wasn't the only prophet that lived those, during those days. You've seen a couple of biblical prophets, uh, a couple of, we would call them uh, true prophets, but there were a whole bunch of false prophets, all kinds of them. One of those false prophets was a, a man uh, named Hananiah. Sounds like a good biblical name, but don't name your kid Hananiah. Uh, well, I, I suggest that you, you shouldn't, unless you already have, and in which case I've just stuck my foot right in my mouth, which I am prone to do. But Hananiah, in this case, this Hananiah here was not a, not a, a good guy. So, so apparently what happened is Jeremiah shows up one day, and he's got this yoke on. He, he went out to the cattle stall or whatever, and he got this uh, big, heavy wooden yoke, and he put it on. And normally people don't wear yoke. Normally goats or bulls or oxen wear goats. But in comes uh, Jeremiah with his yoke on, and, and he's, he uses it for a prop. You know anybody that preaches with props? Um, well, Jeremiah would do that, okay? <laughs> Jeremiah loved to use props, and so did a lot of the, the props. So it's a good precedent for this, okay? But, and then, but Hananiah comes over, and he grabs that yoke, and he breaks it, which is not a very nice thing to do. Um, Jeremiah 28, 10 to 11. Then the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah the prophet, and he broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, even so will I break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. Jeremiah, the prophet, went his way. He's walked away. Two years. Hananiah said, listen, folks, within two years, it's all going to be back the way it is. Don't worry. Don't sweat it. No big deal. We can do this. The Babylonians. God's going to crush those Babylonians. Jeremiah did walk away, but within the year, Hananiah was dead. Doesn't tell us how he died. It just said he died. And God gave this message to uh, Jeremiah, and he basically said, before Hananiah died, Jeremiah, Jeremiah said, you, can, you broke a yoke of wood, but Nebuchadnezzar will be a, a yoke of iron. And, uh, and on the story goes. A lot of people just decided that it would be better if old Jeremiah just wasn't around. They really didn't like him. They didn't like what came out of his mouth. They didn't like his attitude. They didn't appreciate him at all. They didn't like what he stood for. And they didn't like his constant negativity. It's kind of like how many of the progressives in our culture feel about some of you. They would be just as happy if you weren't part of this nation. They don't like you. You're getting in the way of their progressive agenda. You know, things are getting better and better and better. It's kind of a, goes with the whole evolutionary theory, I think. Right? Uh, maybe, I, I think maybe they try to cheer old Jeremiah up, you know. I'm sure they did because 
you know, if you walk around with your frown on your face and tears in your eyes, people will, you know, people will generally make an effort to cheer you up, you know, say, come on, it's not that bad. It's not that bad, Jeremiah. Cheer up. Stop, stop being such a uh, negative nilly, you know. Cheer up. And the only problem was, you see, it really was that bad. See, this is the problem. The problem with Jeremiah was that he knew that it was really bad. And how do you cheer somebody up when, they, when things are really bad? Um, be kind of like going to a funeral reception and going up to the family and saying, come on, guys, cheer up. It's not that bad. You would never do that. I hope you would never do that. I hope we would never do that. But there's sometimes when you just, when cheer up just isn't the right message. Sometimes it's going to be okay. Everything's all right. It's not really that bad. It's not the right message. And uh, Jeremiah, poor Jeremiah, I mean, like, you know, he developed the name the weeping prophet. Uh, take a look at this verse, uh, chapter, nine, uh, chapter 4, verse 19. This is Jeremiah writing here. He says, my anguish, my anguish, I, I uh, uh, writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart, my heart is beating wildly. I cannot keep silent, for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Can't you hear that, guys? Don't you see what's, what's happening here? So a major theme of both the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations that follows that Jeremiah wrote uh, is a word, uses a word we refer to as desolation. And if you're studying the Bible, if you're reading through and you're doing this three years through the Bible with us, then you'll see that word desolation come up again and again throughout both Isaiah, actually, and Jeremiah. I uh, use that term a lot, and a lot of the, pro the other prophets used it also. And you'll see it come up again and again. Um, remember what God said to uh, the uh, nation in Second Kings after Manasseh, uh, after the reign of Manasseh. He said, "I'm going to wipe this place like a like you wipe a like a wash a plate, wipe a plate and turn it over." And Jeremiah could see that happening, happening, and he lived to actually see it happen. So Jeremiah had a lot to, to cry about. How are you feeling about this message so far? The man had a lot to cry about. And then you got to hand it to him because he was very persistent. If you read through, you'll find that he, he would go and he would stand in the temple gate. God said, go stand in the temp temple gate. Proclaim this message. And then uh, other times he'd go stand in the city gate. Proclaim this message. Uh, and, and then he'd say, go down and stand in front of the king's house and proclaim this message. So he, the guy was everywhere. And he was negative all the time. And so the animosity just continued to grow and to build. And, and uh, so you can imagine the conflict that resulted and the strife that resulted, and uh, which in turn just made Jeremiah's life that much more grievous. Jeremiah 15, verse 10, Woe is me, my mother, that you bore me. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt that way, but I know some of you have. Some people live to see the day they wish they had never been born. That's a, that's a pretty, pretty bad place to get to, isn't it? He says, I have... I, I am a man of strife and contention to the whole land. That pretty much sums up 
Jeremiah's relationship with a lot of the people in Jerusalem and the way he felt about how he was treated. And, and, and you know what? God called him to take that stand. And, and there was times in Jeremiah's life where he just, he just really felt like, God, you, what have you done here? What have you done? Why have you done this to me? Like, why me? And yet God would just say in Jeremiah 15, verse 20, I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you, for I am with you and to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. And you have this going on, right? And, uh, and then, of course, the persecution, right? You know that's what comes next, right, is the persecution. Uh, God had forbidden Jeremiah to marry and have children, chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. Probably, I'm pretty sure, the reason for that was because of the situation. Not a situation you want to bring uh, children into. That's really bad, by the way. I know there's people that are deciding right now today not to have children in the Western world, and and even, even in a lot of Christian communities, because they think... It's getting so bad, they don't want to bring kids into it. I don't think that we're there yet, and I think that the trend to not have children is a bad idea, but it does kind of underscore how bad the situation was getting here. And so the persecution comes, and um, they start plotting against his life in chapter 18. In chapter 20, they beat him, and they put him in stocks. This is real. This is real stuff. Uh, Jeremiah 20, verse 7 to 9. Oh, Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. You just picture him in the stocks. People going by, yeah, there's old negative Jeremiah. Good for him. That's where he belongs, right there. Hope they keep him there. Verse 8 says, for whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout, violence and destruction, for the, Lord, for the word of the Lord has come For me, a reproach and a derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up on my bones, and I am weary of holding it all in, and I cannot. Paul Jeremiah is in a bad situation. He he can't not speak. He cannot, uh, can't not say what God has told him and revealed to him to say, but whenever he opens his mouth, This is the kind of thing that happens. And so on top of everything else, he starts to think, you know, God, you've deceived me. You know, what about about this uh, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life stuff I've been hearing? It doesn't seem to be working for me, Lord. Weeping prophet. Jeremiah had a lot to cry about. Jeremiah 20, verses 14 to 18, Cursed be the day that I was born. This is just descending into despair at this point. (laughs) And we don't want to go there with him, but let's let's at least acknowledge the man's pain. Because if you want to help people that are suffering in this world, you better 
be able to acknowledge their pain. That's important. It's called empathy. And, my, and may God gift you with tons of it. May you learn, as Paul says in Romans, to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Because that's a healthy thing. Jeremiah had a lot to feel bad about. He had a lot to cry about. Chapter 26, they try to kill him. Chapter 36, they ban him from the temple. And he was a priest. Jeremiah 1.1, Jeremiah was a priest. In chapters 37, they, bring, uh, they beat him again and they bring false accusations against him. They basically charge him with, with um, what do they call it when you, you, you uh, undermine your, the security of your country and betray your country? Treason. Yeah, they basically charge him with treason and they put him in prison. And then eventually he gets out of prison. But then in chapter 38, they, they, they find a big hole in the ground they call a, a cistern and they put him in that. Eventually, everything happens right the way Jeremiah said it was going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and the Babylonian forces and smash down the walls and smash down the buildings, and they burn all of the important buildings, and they burn the temple to the ground, and they take all the treasures and all of the very best, and they cart them off. Just like Jeremiah said was going to happen. The man had a lot to cry about. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But Jeremiah was not a pessimist. Jeremiah had hope. He had the hope that God was going to restore the people and, and gather the people back in 70 years' time. He even names the king Cyrus as does Isaiah. He, he, he prophesied that the people would, that God would gather the people back in 70 years' time. That becomes significant when you're studying the book of Daniel. He had that hope, but it was way, way, way bigger than that. Because Jeremiah's hope was a hope that transcended the hope that had been lost and had died that day in Jerusalem. Our key text this morning really is the three chapters spanning from Jeremiah 29 through Jeremiah 31. Now, we're not going to read three chapters. We're only going to read just little bits of it, actually. Um, but I hope that you have read or will read uh, Jeremiah 29 through 31, at least in your readings. Uh, that Jeremiah 29, written in exile. Uh, uh, Jeremiah writing uh, to the exiles um, in Babylon. We, uh, we love to lift this passage out of its context. It's a familiar passage, Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. How many of you know this passage? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you and you will seek me and find me when you seek, with, seek me with all your heart. 
these words were written to the exiles in, in Babylon. They were written as an encouragement for the people who were in exile, waiting for the Lord, waiting for the promise uh, that the Lord had given. Similar language used in Peter in the New Testament, where Peter the Apostle writes to us and calls us strangers and pilgrims in this world, aliens, waiting for a better home, waiting for a different land, waiting for the promises of God that transcend the promises of life here in this world. Chapter 30 speaks of a time of Jacob's trouble, where trouble, often translated tribulation, reference to the great tribulation that Jeremiah says in chapter 30, but Jacob will be saved out of it. And then in chapter 31, Jeremiah speaks of the, the, uh, the sound of Rachel weeping for her children. I'm sorry for all of this depressing stuff, but it's in there. It's part of the Christmas story. Do you, under, do you understand? Rachel weeping for her children is part of the Christmas story. And somehow we celebrate the Christmas story, but we don't know what to do with those other parts. It just doesn't seem to fit somehow. And the trials and the troubles and the tribulations and the sufferings and the disappointments of this life, it's hard for us to fit that into our theology of God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And it was just as hard in Jeremiah's day as it was in our day. But God gave Jeremiah a message of hope. But it was a not hope for the life that they were expecting and that the false prophets were talking about. Jeremiah talks about a new day and a new covenant. In chapter 31, he expands on this idea of a new day with a new covenant. But we're not going to read from Jeremiah 31. Instead, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 8, because in Hebrews chapter 8, the author of Hebrews quotes almost verbatim from this section in Jeremiah 31. Did you... Did you know that? Did you, did you catch that in your reading? The curriculum doesn't go there with this. I don't know why they wouldn't go there with this because it's really important that the writer, the New Testament writer of Hebrews picks up and quotes from Jeremiah. And uh, so we'll read from Hebrews chapter 8, verses 6 through 13. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it has enacted on better uh, promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them, or in the Hebrew it can be with it, when he says, and then this is where the quote starts, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. This is Jeremiah. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. That covenant is obsolete. 
That covenant is flawed. That covenant is defective. Why? What made it defective? <coughs> we did. It depended on obedience. It depended, it depended on our ability, human ability, to be able to keep their end or our end of the bargain. There was nothing wrong with God's ability to keep his end of the bargain, but the old covenant failed because Israel failed. The people failed. They failed to keep it. And when they failed to keep it, what we see is what we've been talking about. But Jeremiah says there's a new covenant coming. There's a new day and a new covenant coming. It says in verse 9, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I brought them by the hand out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with those of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. That last statement is really significant because the reason that all this stuff was happening was because of Israel's failure, their sin, if you will. In fact, every stinking, dirty, rotten thing that has ever happened on this planet has happened either directly or indirectly as a result of human sin. It's not God's fault that the world is messed up. It's our fault. Starting with our very first parents, right? So that's the bad news. The good news is that God is promising through Jeremiah a day of a new, a new covenant. Now, uh, it's, I think, I hope, it's clear why the author of Hebrews would pick up on these words from Jeremiah about a new covenant and bring it to us in the New Testament because you all know that when Jesus met with his disciples on the night before, in which he was betrayed and the night before he went to the cross, he sat down at the table with them and he said, this is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. What does Jeremiah say here? He says, I will remember their sins no more. In the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews follows with the sentence, verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. It's gone. It's done. If you were standing in Jerusalem that day, when it all was said and done, it would be desolate. The, the prophets called it desolation, utter desolation. Nothing left. Just ruined. And it's a very graphic picture, isn't it? It's a very graphic picture of life in this world under the old covenant that depended on our ability to be able to meet our end of the deal. Jesus said this is a new covenant covenant in my blood. And Jeremiah says the day's coming when there will be a new covenant 
and God will write his word on our hearts and he will remember our sin no more. The old covenant was broken. We broke it. The new covenant is not like the old one. That's what Hebrews 8, 7 says. The new covenant is not like the old one. It's way better, as the author of Hebrews says, and the old one is obsolete. The new covenant is mediated by Christ himself, and it is the covenant in his blood which he shed for the forgiveness of our sins, and it's written not in stone or even on paper. It's written upon our hearts. And all who come to know God, the true God, through uh, faith in his son Jesus Christ have the assurance of the hope of all the good things that are to come according to the promises of Jesus. You know, Jeremiah, if he really was the weeping prophet, he was in really good company, wasn't he? I mean, in good company with Jesus. Because Jesus was the weeping prophet. Uh, man of sorrows acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53, verse 3. Jer uh, Luke 19, Jesus looking down over Jerusalem. You, you know this passage, right? Jesus looking down over Jerusalem. And when he drew near to the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Thank you, Jerry saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when the enemies, your enemies will set up a barricade around you, surround you and hem you in on every side, tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another. You know, in 70 years' time after Jeremiah's life, there was a return. And Jerusalem was rebuilt. Herod built a temple that made Solomon's temple look like it was nothing. The temple of Jesus' day was a rebuilt temple. And it was spectacular. Like, wow, just incredible. It was like a wonder. And, uh, but in, I think it was 70 AD, Titus, the Roman commander, sacked destroyed. Not one stone was left upon another, right? So what's Jeremiah talking about? By the way, the next uh, no, let me skip that part. This came into my newsfeed this week and I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, it's shortest person, verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Context of that verse, the death of his friend, the death of Jesus' friend, Lazarus. This came into my newsfeed. I absolutely love it. It says, he cried. He knew Lazarus was dead before he got the news, but still he cried. He knew that Lazarus would be alive in moments, but still he cried. He knew death here is not forever. He knew eternity and the kingdom better than anyone else could. And yet he wept. 
Because this world is full of pain and regret and loss and depression and devastation. He wept because knowing the end of the story doesn't mean you can't cry at the sad parts. One of the most difficult parts I find with applying, interpreting the Bible and correctly and applying it to our lives, especially when we're talking about the Old Testament, comes from this question of whom we should identify with, how much we should identify with them, and how we should identify with them. But it's hard not to miss how much Jeremiah's situation mirrors oft times our situation. Because we too are given a bad news, good news message. And you know, if, if we're faithful to the calling that we have in Christ, we're not always going to be very popular. Some people will consider you to be very negative. I think you probably know this, but denial is still the most popular way that people have for dealing with life's more unpleasant realities. I'm going to say that again, just in case you were nodding off. Denial is still the most common way that people have for dealing with the more unpleasant realities in their lives. And we are very capable of lying to ourselves. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Jeremiah looked at situation he was in and, and God gave him the ability to be able to see the realities and you know uh, beloved I, I, I'll say this to myself as well as to you today that in the year 2020 the church is in danger of sliding into a great temptation and it's a temptation to comprom compromise our message and simply tell people what they want to hear pander to the crowds and to give false assurance to people. Downplaying sin and downplaying brokenness and downplaying the judgment that's coming for our world. You know, Jeremiah wrote a lot about false prophets of his day. He wrote a lot about the false prophets of his day. People who gave false assurance. It's going to be alright people. There's nothing to worry about. I'm okay, you're okay, we're okay. Here's the thing that I think settled most into my mind and heart as I read through the book of Jeremiah and read and reread all these passages that I want to share with you this morning. Sometimes the false hopes that we cling to in this world prevent us 
from laying hold of the real hope that God has to offer us. The one who I'm talking about, Jesus talked about it all the time. He said things like, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt, thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. He said things like this. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. And as you get into the, farther into the New Testament and you start reading the apostles of Christ, they're constantly admonishing the church to look beyond life in this world and not to fall in love with this world. Because here's the thing. God doesn't promise us happiness here. He doesn't promise us that everything's going to go good here. In fact, this is what Jesus promised. You can take this to the bank. In this world, you will have trouble. That's the promise, right? But I have overcome the world. Take heart. Have hope. It doesn't mean that we don't sorrow. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians and he said to them, I don't want you to sorrow like those who have no hope. (laughs) When we get to heaven someday, the Bible says that God's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. But that presupposes something. It presupposes that when we get there, there's going to be a lot of tears. And that passage where it says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It has been an observation of mine that our capacity to do either will determine our capacity to do both. And that a healthy life, if I can use that term, and a healthy response is not a dumbed-down version of denying the realities around us. Say, are you a pessimist or a realist or an optimist? I hope you're both. Because that's the picture that forms out of these, these promises. We need to be both realists and, and idealists. You know, the uh, prophet John said, this world is passing away. Here's, I'm going to try to close with this. I'm going to try. You heard me say, I'm going to try, okay? (laughs) I'm going to try to close with this. Jeremiah had good reason to cry. Jeff, are you okay today? You seem especially, uh, you're having fun. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Jeremiah had reason to hope, a reason to cry, right? But he also had reason to hope. His reason for hope was not found in this world or in life situation. So let me ask you, where this morning, where is your hope? Because most people look for hope in this world. You know, I'm gonna, someday I'm going to meet that person that's going to become my my significant other, my companion, my life companion, my wife, my husband, um, the father of my children, the mother of my children, and, and we're going and we're going to have a family together. 
That's a nice thought. It's a wonderful thing. But it is temporary. Uh, I hope that we can break through something this morning here and recognize the fact that everything we experience here is temporary. That's not to say it's not good. It's very good. It can be, as well as very bad. That's why we rejoice and we weep. But it's temporary. And the only source of real hope that you can depend on that's not temporary is to have hope that transcends life in this world. That's what the message of Jesus was all about. He said, what should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Let me just ask you the question again. Where's your hope? Do you have hope? I hope that you're not just hoping for the promises in this life. As good as that can be. One more passage. I don't have it on the screen. I'm just going to tell you what it says. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most, ESV has to be pitied. I think the King James says most miserable. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm looking forward to the rest of this day. I think it's going to have some good things in it. I'm looking forward to this week. I'm looking forward to the week after that because I'm we have a trip planned. I think it's going to be a, a blast. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, Alex and April and Josh and Elsie and Prince and I, Lord willing, are going to Niagara Falls uh, for a conference. We won't be enjoying the scenery for the time we're there, but we'll have some fun too. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to Christmas time. Anybody else here looking forward to Christmas time? Isn't it wonderful? But the truth of the matter is, is that I, none of that's promised. None of it. Not one second of it. Where's your hope this morning? I hope it's in Christ and Christ alone. Because anything else is temporary. Let's stand together and pray together. Will you pray with me this morning? You know, I've noticed, you probably have too. We don't sing as many songs about heaven as we used to. And I, and I know that God wants us to live for him here and now, and I know that we don't have to wait till we die to experience eternal life. I know that. I get that. I think that, that those are important points. 
But I can't help but wonder if, I'm not, if there's another reason. And that's because we like it here so much. And there's a danger there. Do you know why it's so hard? I'm going to try to end with this. No, seriously, I'm going to end with this. Do you know why it's so hard to share the gospel today? You know why it's so hard to share the gospel here in Colchester County today? It's because people have it so good. That's the number one reason it's hard. Number one reason. Denial is still the preferred method that people have for dealing with the unpleasant realities of their life. None of us get out of here alive, folks. I hope your hope is in Christ alone. If not, then you don't have any real hope. All you have is false promises. Today, you can have that hope if you haven't given your life to Christ. You know, what? the shedding of his blood, the, re, the, the forgiveness of our sins, that promise, it's promised to you. And you can have it today. If you pray with me, will you pray with me? I pray, Lord, that you would just open hearts today and help us to see what is real, Lord. Help us to see reality for what it is. Help us to appreciate the promises of the gospel, what they are and what they aren't. Lord, old, poor old Jeremiah, we feel for him, and he had it really, really hard. Lord, that's because sometimes life is really, really hard. And it's not without its joys. But the sorrows are real as well. And Lord, help us to, to know that our hope is in you and to have a, a hope that is real, that transcends life in this world, that is an anchor beyond even the grave, an anchor for our souls. I pray that you'd open hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. I pray that men and women here in this place would be, even now, trusting you, asking uh, you shall seek for me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. You will call unto me and find me and when you seek for me with all your heart. That's what Jeremiah said. Lord, I pray that there would be men and women in this place even right now that would call out to you and just take hold of that promise, the only real promise of the gospel, the promise of eternal life you're here and you've never done that, I just encourage you to pray, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I need you. I know that I have no hope without you. But I come to you in my, in my sin and my brokenness and I ask you to, to forgive me and to take me and to make me your own and fill my life with the hope of Jesus Christ. I pray in Christ's name, amen.